0: Our guest today is Benjamin Means, professor of law at the University of South Carolina. We'll be discussing his article, Solving the King Lear Problem, which is forthcoming in the UC Irvine Law Review. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Ben, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Andrew.
0: Ben, it's not every day that the Business Scholarship Podcast features a discussion of 17th century literature, but I wondered if maybe you could tell us why we're talking about a very old play. Could you introduce the King Lear problem to the listeners? How has it traditionally been understood? And in the paper, what do you argue as to how it should be understood?
1: Yes, I'd be glad to answer that. And again, thanks for having me on your show. If you'll indulge me, I think I need to give a somewhat long answer to that question because I I do want to talk about Shakespeare as well as family businesses. In the broadest sense, the King Lear problem is about deciding how to transfer a family enterprise to the next generation. Questions like who should inherit and how can the process be managed in order to avoid strife within the family while also positioning the enterprise for continued success? More narrowly, the King Lear problem has to do with timing. When should the next generation take over? And the play illustrates the stakes. Lear handed over the keys to the kingdom to his two eldest daughters, and then everything collapsed around his ears. Instead of peace and stability, there was warfare and madness. His daughters basically murdered each other, and it wasn't much of a retirement. So this is the result we want to avoid. According to conventional wisdom, Lear's big mistake was giving away control of his kingdom too soon. Once his daughters were in charge, they didn't need him, and so they left him to wander the heath in the middle of a storm of the century, back when storms of the century didn't come around quite so often. Professor Henrik Hardegg of Princeton University calls this the King Lear Problem. People make lifetime transfers of their worldly goods in exchange for care and support in their old age, and then the heirs neglect the bargain. I have a different interpretation. In fact, I think the standard account of King Lear gets it backwards. In my view, the play's central lesson for family business owners is to start succession planning as early as possible. Lear's mistake was not that he acted too soon, but that he waited too long. When the play begins, Lear is in his 80s, and the question of succession has not been addressed. In fact, Lear has kept his intentions in that regard a secret. The immediate question before Lear, as the play opens, is who's going to marry Cordelia, his youngest daughter? The suitors include the Duke of Burgundy and the King of France, and she's expected to carry with her a large dowry. And in the midst of negotiations, Lear surprises everyone. He takes them by surprise and says, hey, I'm going to step aside and give the kingdom to my three daughters, Cordelia and her elder sisters, Goneril and Regan, both of whom are married to the Dukes of Albany and Cornwall, respectively. And it turns out Lear has already drawn up a succession plan in which each daughter takes a roughly equal share. Lear is in his 80s possibly in declining health, and says he's ready to shake all cares and business from our age, conferring them on younger strengths. All that remains is for each daughter to publicly declare her love for her father in order to earn her place. Goneril and Regan do what's asked of them. Cordelia refuses. Lear flies into a rage, disinheriting Cordelia on the spot. Lear also banishes his key advisor, Kent, For protesting Lear's treatment of Cordelia. In the heat of anger, Lear makes up a new plan. He says, okay, here's the succession plan. Goneril and Regan, you're going to divide the kingdom. Lear says, I'm going to retain the title of king and a retinue of a hundred knights, which by the way would effectively be a small army, and travel back and forth to be hosted by the two daughters, in turn at their expense. As soon as they find themselves alone, Goneril and Regan express concern. Lear has terrible judgment here. They know full well he loved Cordelia best, and so they form a pact to protect themselves from Lear's unruly waywardness, which they attribute to the infirmity of his age. Okay, things go downhill from there. It's a long play. Already, though, we can identify some problems. First, again, Lear is in his 80s when he decides the time is right to announce his succession plan and to put it into effect. Not that productivity can't continue into old age. Today, after all, is Bob Dylan's 80th birthday, and he's not slowing down. But you know, still, the hour is getting late for making succession decisions. Second, even at that late date, Lear decides to keep the title of king for himself, as well as a 100 knights pledged to his service. And, and that's got to create uncertainty about who's supposed to be in charge. Third, the allocation of the kingdom turns on the result of a love trial on which each daughter is judged according to her public performance of her love for her father. And fourth, as far as we can tell, Lear has never discussed his succession plan with his daughters before, much less sought their input or consent. He views the decision as his alone to make. And based on just that much, without seeing the rest of the play, any family business advisor would predict trouble ahead for Lear, his family and the kingdom. In fact, Lear's succession plan would seem pretty familiar. All right, maybe not the love trial. That's weird. But the patriarch who doesn't know when to let go and makes everything about himself? Sure, check. The mixing up of family and public expectations? Check. The lack of communication? Again, check. It's not unusual. And that, to my mind, is the King Lear problem.
0: If we port this problem from Shakespeare to modern business enterprises, what can be some of the consequences that the problem creates for individual businesses, and what might be at stake more market and economy-wide?
1: Sure. It's generally acknowledged that the greatest threat to family businesses is succession. There are just so many ways things can go wrong. And Shakespeare's play illustrates quite a few of them, although, happily, most disputes end short of murder. For the business, the dangers include installing an incompetent or an unprepared successor, or if the succession plan is unclear, maybe several contenders will tear the business apart as they battle for control. And I'd add to that, whatever happens to the business, ultimately, the family relationships are likely to be just destroyed. And that's surely not what a family business owner would ever want to happen. Instead of anchoring family relationships and providing a communal source of value, the business can become a poison. Even the wisest family business owner can't guarantee future harmony. But when they ignore the question of succession, that's just the surest way for family business owners to set up the next generation for failure. Too often, the owners say, in effect, when the time comes, you'll know what to do. Now, to answer the last part of your question, I admit I haven't seen data on economy-wide impacts, and I'm a little hesitant to speculate. Uh, You could say, look, if one business fails, others are going to take its place. And a governance breakdown is just one way that a particular business might leave itself vulnerable to being surpassed in the marketplace. So... I guess I wouldn't assume that difficulties in family business succession affect GDP or overall employment numbers. But even if the economic results are mostly awash, at least from a wide enough perspective, the consequences can be quite severe for those who depend on the business for their livelihood. The family members, but also non-family employees, business partners, communities where family businesses operate. So there are a lot of stakeholders that have reason to care about it.
0: Updating from Shakespeare's King Lear in the popular culture, just in the last few years, there was the show Empire, there's the show Succession on HBO that tracked the Lear story a good bit. But are there any recent case examples that listeners may be familiar with or that might be helpful for listeners in illustrating how this problem plays out in a modern family-controlled business?
1: Sure. Sumner Redstone is probably the best recent example Although Rupert Murdoch might be a close second, and my understanding is the show Succession is actually based a bit on both of them, with some leer thrown into the mix. For anyone who doesn't know him, Sumner Redstone was a media mogul who controlled Viacom and CBS, among other businesses, and he famously declared that his succession plan was to never die. He mostly meant it, actually, and he came closer to the goal than most of us do, holding control well into his 90s. But the consequence of his inattention to succession planning was just a complete mess, including litigation that involved his daughter, Sherry Redstone, and the business directors and CEOs who bristled at answering to her. Apart from how Sherry Redstone may have felt about having to fight for the ability to run the family business, it was bad for Viacom, it was bad for CBS, and it was bad for their shareholders. In his later years, although Sumner Redstone was still CEO and board chair of National Amusements, and that's the family business that held a controlling stake in CBS and Viacom, his physical and mental capacity had been reduced to such an extent that it was really unclear who was making decisions. Like Lear, he waited too long to handle the responsibility of succession. So I I would view him as a modern example of this King Lear problem.
0: We've talked about some of the consequences for business when a senior generation fails to make succession plans, but let's talk about their fiduciary duties that come to play. What responsibility do kings or or queen leers have to manage successions effectively? What about the directors of their companies? And do any distinctions come up when there's a firm that has a family that has voted control of the firm? So for example, in the case of CBS and Viacom, they were publicly traded companies, but the Redstone family did have a controlling share in both companies. Are there any distinctions that come up in terms of fiduciary duties then?
1: Yes. Aside from the stewardship responsibility any business owner has, and a family business owner should feel especially keenly there can be fiduciary duties, and those will depend, as you suggest, on what type of entity we're, we're looking at. In a corporation, for example, fiduciary duties apply to the board of directors, to officers of the corporation, and to controlling owners, and a family business owner may wear all of those hats. I should note that when a family is clearly in control, non-family board members may not wish to contradict the family's judgment, which is One reason that controlling owners have their own fiduciary obligation, but the board can't surrender its own independent judgment. There's a Delaware case from 2006, which I cite in the article, and there the board was held liable because they had no reporting system in place, and the non-family directors entirely deferred, in the court's words, to the controlling owner and failed to intervene to prevent self-dealing transactions that harmed other shareholders. In that case, the controlling owner violated his fiduciary duties, but so too did the directors. So I, I think fiduciary duties are, already exist, and enforcing them could be one way to handle the King Lear problem.
0: So let's talk about solutions to the problem a little bit more. You make three proposals in the article for addressing the issues that you highlight. The first is a statutory proposal. And then barring a statutory amendment to Delaware or other states' laws, you or perhaps concurrent with the statutory proposal. You also suggest a judicial proposal and then a private ordering approach as well. Could you walk us through those? How do they address the problem? What micro effects might they have for family businesses? Or perhaps what macro effects might they have for the business community in general?
1: I'll try to answer that question and follow up if I don't hit all aspects of it. I think the, the first challenge is for family business owners to recognize the need to engage in succession planning. And that can be a matter of counsel, a modern day Kent's telling them that this is important and they shouldn't neglect it. And for lawyers to do that, they need themselves need to understand the dynamics in, in family businesses. So I think that would be one avenue for improvement. And I think all of these potential solutions can work together. The first and maybe the easiest to describe aspect is private ordering. To the extent you have banks, key customers, joint venture partners, any other powerful third parties, and if they're insisting on good governance as a condition of doing business, that's an incentive for family businesses to take care of the succession plan and to address these topics they might otherwise prefer to ignore. So you might say, why would the third parties care? If you're contemplating a relatively long-term business arrangement with a family business, let's say, you don't want that counterparty to blow up in the middle of the deal. You don't want to see a family business that you're depending on go belly up because they didn't think about succession. So your due diligence is going to include Looking at their succession plan, for example. And I've had a few students who've come to law school from a banking background, and they've all told me that this is absolutely standard practice. So I think that piece is already there. And we just talked about this, but there's also a potential role for courts in enforcing fiduciary duties that already exist. For example, when Sumner Redstone declared repeatedly that his succession plan was to never die, that's as clear a red flag as you can imagine for the board. And that's just an obvious business risk. And I'd go further and say every board needs to assure itself that there's a reasonable business continuity plan in place. The board can't satisfy the duty of care, and the the oversight responsibility, by signing on to the proposition that when the time comes, you'll know what to do. I also argue in the paper that courts might take a harder look when issues of capacity arise. It shouldn't be out of the ordinary to evaluate cognitive functioning, to intervene if it's necessary to prevent a controlling owner from staying in the role, far past his or her ability to do the job. And then if we look at lawmakers, they could support succession planning with tax advantages, subsidies for the succession process, or I think this would especially be true for smaller businesses, just free counseling services, like you see with family farms. There are counselors the government will provide to try to advise the business and their pamphlets and there's websites and there are things that that tell you what things you ought to be thinking about. So at, at a minimum, I think we could look at boosting those kinds of programs. Now the last and the I think the boldest suggestion in the article would involve creating some kind of a family business entity. Call it the F Corp. Right now there's no particular form of business association that's designed for family ownership. Family businesses can be partnerships, they can be limited partnerships, they might be LLCs or or, or corporations. Arguably, a model form designed with the the typical needs of family ownership in mind could help guide succession planning. For example, the F-Corp could require the creation of an independent board committee to oversee business succession and family employment issues. That's already a matter of best practices, but it might be nice to put it into the model statute. The F-Corp could also include maybe a mandatory retirement age to create a target for succession planning and and try to go around this problem of the incumbent who's in his 80s and refuses to let go. I admit I'm still agnostic about the value of the F-Corp. I'm just not sure family businesses would be likely to adopt a new form of business association that might mark them out as different. And I recognize there are lots of different kinds of family businesses in scale and industry and organization, and maybe a single statutory approach would be too reductive. So I'm inclined to think that this is a topic worth examining further, maybe in future work of mine, not just in regard to succession planning, but more generally as a way of organizing family business ventures, but that's, again, that's something I'm still thinking about.
0: What key takeaways would you like listeners to have from this conversation and from the article? The
1: brutal reality is that very few family businesses survive three generations, and the drop-off is steep at each generational handoff. King Lear helps us to see why this might be the case. In fact, there's a leading treatise that suggests, uh, a quote it, that no one should undertake family business planning without at least three books at hand, a current copy of the state business organization law, a current copy of the Internal Revenue Code, and a copy of King Lear. My goal in the article, which we've been discussing today, is to bring out further just what arcing Lear's lessons for us. And that lesson, that central lesson, I think, is that succession planning needs to happen early. It's not something that should be delayed. And to put the paper into context, I also think it's worth emphasizing you know, more generally, family businesses have distinctive characteristics, and they deserve serious study in legal academia. This has been a a project of mine over the past several years. The problem of family business succession is just one example. Combining family relationships with business relationships can be immensely rewarding for the participants and can, at least I believe, infuse market capitalism with values that might otherwise be lost. But for sure, there are challenges. The expectations of family life and the demands of the marketplace don't always point in the same direction. So they are just challenges in making family businesses work, but I think the challenge is worth
0: it. Our guest today has been Benjamin Means, professor of law at the University of South Carolina. We've discussed his article, Solving the King Lear Problem, which is forthcoming in the UC Irvine Law Review. I'll add a link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Ben, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed the, this discussion.